0: Well, we come now to chapter 21 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is of religious worship and the Sabbath. It became clear to me, uh, putting it together, that I was not going to do the Sabbath tonight, or right, you'd be here till nine o'clock, or I'd be going, talking so fast, you wouldn't understand, or even though you have a high capacity for deciphering my fast speech. I, I'm grateful for that, actually, but uh, not that fast. So we're going to look at the regulative principle of worship and worship according to the Word of God. And here's the basic statement. Well, here's the introduction statement. The light of nature shows that there is a God. By the way, that's true. The light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all, is good and does good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. Well, first of all, God is sufficiently revealed in nature that all persons owe him worship. And sometimes Christians get hung up on that. Should a non-Christian worship God? Yes, God should be worshiped by all his creatures. And nature, as Romans 1, 19 and 20 shows, I have verse 20 here, uh, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Why have they been clearly perceived? Because as the other verse says, because he has made himself manifest. He has made himself known. There are no atheists. It's not possible to be an atheist. And we, we are bombarded with the evidence of order and design and power and goodness. We live on an earth where it rains and the grass comes up. There's just this natural goodness. Yes, it's corrupted by sin. And we all know that there is a God. And so they are, when he says they are without excuse, that implies that we have an obligation to worship him. We are creatures. He is the creator, and uh, we should worship him earnestly and reverently. Now that raises the question well, who decides how Christians therefore should worship? And uh, in the new members class, some of you may remember I, I asked the question uh, who decides what's good worship? God does. What's acceptable worship? Well, how do we know what God thinks about worship? Because of his word. And so God may not be, wor- God must be worshiped according to his word. Uh, it's interesting, I mean, when, you, when you read a, a, a document like John Calvin's great book on uh, the, the reason for the, the Reformation, the necessity of reforming the church, and he gives a number of doctrinal headings, and he had justification through faith alone, sola scriptura, things like that. Chapter 1 was on worship. And I'm so impressed with what Calvin had to say. The number one reason we had to reform the church, look, we've thrown Europe upside down. Tens of thousands have died. There's just been nothing but tumult and war. Why did we do that? Because God has been falsely worshipped. He actually argues justification through faith is vitally important, but it's a means. What is the end? Worship. And you and I are living in a time in an evangelical culture that is not really thinking in this way. And what we tend to think, we, we as evangelicals, is if we feel that it's worshipful, God must think it's worship. And that is a, shall we say, theologically defective point of view. Uh, one of my favorite lines from here is, uh, uh, we're not to worship him by the devices and imaginations of men or the devices of Satan. And you're like, well, Pastor, what's, how do we know the difference between the imaginations of men and the devices of Satan? Uh, they, they go together. <laughs> They're pretty much the same. Uh, and and the, if, if the fact that we think it's worshipful uh, to the therefore say it is received by God as worship fails to realize our fallen condition. In fact, the fact that a worship practice, a way of worshiping God, is appealing to us, that on the surface of it ought to make us suspicious. Really, it ought to. No, God, and of course he does. The purpose of worship is that he would be praised and that he would be pleased in the praise. That it, it, It's received by him as worship. It is... Uh, that is stipulated in his word. I have the example of Nadab and Abihu and Leviticus 10, they, and they, they did human invention. Now they brought strange fire into the tabernacle. What was that? I, I have no insight as to what strange fire was, other than that it was a human uh, uh, addition to worship that made sense to them. This will really make it good. This will really jazz it up, and God smote them. Well, God doesn't smite people all the time. He was making a point in that. That worship that is according to our own devices and not stipulated by his word is offensive to him. Now, I have Aaron from Exodus 32, 22. That is where you have the golden calf incident. And I, as, if you've been to the New Members class, you've heard me say that was not a first commandment violation. The name of the golden calf was Yahweh. They were worshiping the true God falsely. And it made sense to them. Oh, yeah, you know, back in Egypt, we had these, like, these images, and that was really cool. We could focus on them, and a bull would be great, young and virile. That will be God. And, and when Moses comes down from the mountain, and, and, and he's exercised about this, shall we say, and he asks Aaron, you knucklehead, how could you make a golden calf? This is his answer. I quote, you know how the people are. That's what they wanted. And the Westminster, and so one of the things that's distinctive about Reformed worship is, is we call it the regulative principle of worship. i got a whole slide on it coming. But the, the notion that we should worship God in the way that he says he wants to be worshipped. And that is a colossal issue today. You know, so much of it's been made about the worship style of music. And there's not nothing to that. There is something to it. But it's a rather secondary matter to the whole issue of Are we worshiping God according to his word? Listen to this Calvin quote from the necessity of reforming the church. I love this quote. It tends greatly to establish God's authority that we do not follow our pleasure but depend entirely on his sovereignty. What he means is we show that we believe that God is sovereign by doing it his way. See, our problem is that we think that we're sovereign. And then I love this. Such is our folly that when we are left at liberty, all we are able to do is go astray. And then once we have turned aside from the right path, there is no end to our wanderings until we get buried under a multitude of superstition. Well, you don't have to go back to the evidence. You have to, you don't have to go back to the medieval Roman Catholic Church to prove that, although you could. Really, all you have to do is look at modern evangelicalism. With all the secular accretions, the comedy routines and the skits and the video clips. I mean, my dad is way old. I think the last time I got dad on it was like 2005. Then 46% of, of evangelical churches showed video clips in worship every week. And why do they do that? You know how the people, because they're popular. Because people feel like they connect to it. You know, the, why do they do skits instead of a sermon? Because a skit is non authoritarian. It's not proclamatory. If we do a skit, it's impressionistic, and you took out of it what you took out of it, and and we have a discussion of it. But but the Bible says, no, the word is to be preached. And so the superstitions begin to accrete, and uh, it is uh, an offense to the Lord. So we believe that we are to worship according to God's word. Now, how does that work out? That's the regulative principle of worship, by which we mean that Scripture is to be regulated by the teaching of Scripture. Daryl Hart and John Muther put it this way in their very helpful book. The regulative principle simply states that whatever we do in worship must have support from the Bible. That's what it says. This is not to say we have a proof text for everything we do. Scripture gives no exact order of worship, but by good and necessary consequences, we may deduce from God's word the necessary parts of the ordinary religious worship of God. And what they mean is that you see relevant examples in the Bible. And you see what's being done that's being approved by God in the Bible. Well, then that's what we're to do. And then there's positive statements. You know, Why do we have a a scripture reading in our morning worship service that's separate from the, the sermon? Because the apostles explicitly say, let us not leave off the public reading of Scripture. So we go, well, that's, that's telling us what we're to do, so we're going to do it. Uh, so relevant examples, uh, 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 clear teaching in Scripture is what we do. Lig Duncan says a regular principle helps assure that our corporate worship is Bible-filled and Bible-directed, that the substance and structure are biblical and the content and order are biblical. Now, some people would go, oh, you guys are really hung up on the Bible. No, 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 it's not hung up on the Bible. It's God, it's his word, Is how he communicates with us. Now, the regular principle is going to focus on elements, forms, and circumstances, which means that the most important thing are the elements, which are the parts of the worship service, you know the things that have a label on them in the bulletin, there' to be things the Bible tells us to do, and not other things. There is no video clip, there is no skit, there is no comedy routine portion of it. Uh, there's all kinds of things we might mention that are not in there, and they're not to be in there. And in fact, paragraph five says the reading of the scriptures with godly fear, the sound preaching and conscionable hearing of the word, in obedience to God, with understanding faith and reverence. The singing of psalms with grace in the heart also as a due administration and worthy receiving of the sacraments are all parts of the ordinary religious worship uh, of God. Besides others, vows, solemn fastings, thanksgivings upon special occasions. But, but your, your basic worship service is the reading of Scripture, the preaching of Scripture, the singing of songs and spiritual songs, and, and, the, and the prayers of God's people. Those things make up uh, the heart of the service. Uh, we want to read the Bible, we want to preach the Bible, we want to pray the Bible, we want to sing the Bible, we want to see the Bible. And that means that everything we do in our worship service should have a biblical basis. And you go, well, what about confessing the faith? There's biblical precedents for doing that. Everything, uh, the, the benediction, the call to worship, the, the, there's biblical principles for all of these things. Um, Now, the Confession then goes on, Oh, let me go back and say, the, the forms are not as important, but they are important. They're the way that you do it. Now, sometimes the Bible is very crystal clear about the forms, like how to administer the Lord's Supper. We have procedural specification. So it's not enough for us to say we're going to do the Lord's Supper as we are in two weeks. We actually moved it back because we're bringing in new members this week. We're not having the Lord's Supper the 20th. It's the 27th. But we need to do it the way the Bible says. We we had a a kind of a thing in the PCA 10 years ago where people were doing intinction. This is a sore subject with me. But uh, where you go forward and the priest, I I mean the minister, dips the bread in the cup and then you eat the, the wine sopped bread. I remember we were debating this at our presbytery, which fortunately we voted against, but it was closer than I wanted. Uh, one of the previous speakers says, we have perfect liberty because the Bible doesn't tell us how to do it. And I go, well, let's read the institution of the Lord's Supper, which has procedural spe- and after, after giving thanks, he passed the bread and, and they passed the bread, then they partook of it. And then afterwards he passed the cup. So you pass the bread, you pass the cup. Now there are other things where we don't quite have the form specificity. But we're to use very good biblical judgment about that. How we do it is to be biblical as well as what we do. And then the circumstances are things like what time is a service? Yeah. Do we sit in pews or chairs? The answer to which is pews. Come on, pews. The, uh, the, uh, do we meet in the gym when the sanctuary is being? And, and that's just you use good common sense, right? So biblically common sense. Now, paragraph two is on the proper objects of worship. Religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Oh, let me go back. One more thing I left out. I didn't put in my slide. He's not to be worshiped under an image because God is spirit. So we're not to make an image of him and then worship him through the image. Deuteronomy 6 makes the comment, very interestingly, that when you saw the Lord in the cloud, you did not see an image of him, lest you be tempted to make graven images. And so God is spirit. And so we are not to worship an object. And, and that means to be worshiping God. All right. Uh, religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and him only, not to angels, saints, or any other creature, and since the fall, without, not without a mediator, nor in the mediation of any other, but of Christ alone. Well, who are the proper objects of worship? And the answer is God in his three persons and him alone. What did Jesus say when he was tempted of Satan? You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And so we are to wor- Worship is to be offered to God alone. Revelation 19, that almost funny Fascinating situation where John is so overawed by the angel, he starts worshiping him. And the angel, angel goes into catatonic state, stop worshiping me, Time out, I'm a creature. Spam. The, uh, if it had been one of my children, I would have taken it. But the uh, uh, worship God. Now, needless to say, this precludes saints' days. Venerations of angels or for instance the worship of Mary. Now our Roman Catholics friend will say we're not worshiping Mary, we are venerating her. And that raises the question what is the difference between worship and veneration? And the answer is not clear to me. I think that's like an example of where there's a, a distinction without a difference. You're using different words for the same thing, it is an, an offense. I, I honestly I, I feel so sorry for our wonderful sister Mary. What a wonderful, godly believer. Such an example to us in many ways. She must be deeply grieved that people are worshiping her. I was at St. Francis recently, and I don't want to trash St. Francis Hospital. Uh, it's a, they do lovely work. But it's fascinating, once you start down that road, you have this big, in the lobby, you have a portrait of Mary and Jesus, and it's all about Mary. And there's this little Jesus and this Mary thing, and uh, uh, that is idolatry. We're not to worship anyone. Jesus says... Worship the Lord your God only. Now it's interesting. We notice the Trinitarian Reformed faith is is strongly Trinitarian, but that we, God is to be worshipped in all three of His persons. Now, one way in which that's important is that when we are worshiping the Father, we are worshiping the Son and the Spirit. When we are worshiping the Son, we are worshiping the Father and the Spirit. I, I do think that the Spirit. This is part of the Spirit being the shy member of the Trinity. The Spirit is present when we are glorifying the Father and the Son. And so uh, I'm not saying it's wrong, but we're not often going to be worshiping the Spirit in that way. We come to the Father by the Son, through the Son, by the Spirit. But when we are worshiping the Father and worshiping the Son, we are worshiping the Spirit. They are one. And moreover, worship is to be offered via a mediator, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that's true of salvation. It's true of, of worship. You know, one thing I love about uh, our approach to worship, it, it, it's a classically Reformed view where you, you come and we confess our sins and we have the re- reading receiving of pardon. That word of pardon that the interns read is a big deal because what we're saying is that, Lord, we are sinners and we are coming into your presence for worship through the mediation and blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And that is the only way by which we do so. Um, I, I think of the line I have here, at uh, Hebrews 2.13, where, where it has Jesus as the worship leader. And I often think of this. He says, here I am, behold, here I am, and the children God has given me. And it's this picture of Jesus presenting his people to the Father before his throne that they would join in praising him. And it is by the mediation and the atoning work and, and, and the intercession and lordship of Christ that we worship the Father. Now, the confession spends a bit of time on prayer as worship, paragraphs three and four. Prayer with thanksgiving, being one special part of religious worship, is by God required of all men, and that it may be accepted, it is to be made in the name of the Son, by the help of his Spirit, according to his will, with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and if vocal, in a known tongue." A prayer is to be made for things lawful and for all sorts of men living or that shall live hereafter, but not for the dead, nor for those of whom it may be known that they have sinned the sin unto death. Well, first of all, like worship, prayer is the duty of all. God commands and deserves prayer from everyone. Psalm 65 O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. Let the people praise you, O oh God. Let all the people praise you, Psalm 67, verse 3. And so if you're a non-Christian neighbor says, should I pray, don't say no. Now, they, they, again, just as with worship, they're the creatures of God. They are to pray to him. It is a sin for them not to pray. What I've always said is uh, you should pray, but the problem is unless you are coming to him through the mediation of his son, the Lord Jesus, you have no way of knowing that your prayers are going to be answered. And so while everyone has a duty to pray uh, and should pray, it is only in the name of Christ that your prayers may have an expectation of being heard. I think many years ago, when I was in Uganda doing some village evangelism and this one I, I've mentioned it many times there's this one house filled with Muslim women, and I, I asked the question, when you pray?" And they were talking about how prayer doesn't work, and God doesn't answer our prayer. And we pray and our children are dying and we're afflicted. What's the deal with that? Why should we listen to you? And I said, what is the name of the God to whom you were praying? And they said, Allah. I said, well, there's the problem because Allah is no God. And God has sent his son, the Lord Jesus, and we are to pray in his name. We are to call upon him who shed his blood and who is interceding for us now. And by the, by the power of the Spirit, they believed. And that really, that really was a very crystallizing moment for me. Through prayer in Jesus, we have confidence that our prayers are answered. Now, it doesn't mean that our prayers are answered in the way that we would answer them. And aren't we glad that that's not true? Now, sometimes we're not. Sometimes we pray for things. We've got some things going on right now that we'd really like the Lord to, to give us a different answer than he did. But, but, but his answer is not no answer. And, and he is glorifying himself. And there will be things that we will only in heaven will we look back and say he has done everything well. But, uh, but not yet, or not in that way, is a godly answer, and the Lord does know best, and He is sovereign over these things. And that's hard for us. Uh, it's not just hard for us to hear; it's hard, it's hard for me, as we see people struggling. But He is God, so it, 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 never do we does God hand over the the, the seat of authority to us. Nor should He. If if God said, "Rick, you know, today." Everything you pray for will happen. Well, among the fact that Columbus, Ohio would be a big rubble pile of rubble in the ground and things, other unworthy things, I am not qualified for that. And yet, when we pray in Christ's name and we pray according to his will, we are, these things are said by which we should have great confidence. Because a prayer may be accepted and will be expected by God through Jesus Christ. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but uh, we are alienated from God by sin, and the way to God is barred by justice, so he sent his Son to open the way. First Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.18, For through him we both have access, Jew and Gentile, in one spirit to the Father. Uh, to me, that's an uh, important statement. Through him, by the Spirit, we come to the Father. And that's our normal pattern of prayer. We pray to the Father through the mediation of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is why we pray in Jesus' name. This is what we should mean. When we say in Jesus' name, it's not just that we're tacking on a formula of words, although we may have kind of it's gotten that way. What we're really saying, Lord, is we're, we, we sinners are daring to approach you and make requests because of the mediatorial work of the Lord Jesus. And in that respect, we must always and only pray in Jesus' name. A few years ago, actually under uh, uh, George Bush's presidency, (laughs) uh, under uh, under George Bush's presidency, the Department of the Navy barred sectarian prayers outside of the worship service. And so if you're a Navy chaplain, of course, the Army would never do this, probably would now, but... um, If you're outside of the worship service, you weren't allowed to pray in Jesus' name. And we had a guy coming through our denomination to be a Navy chaplain, and he he was going through the examinations committee. I'm a member of the examinations committee. And he was going into the Navy, so I asked him, are you willing to pray publicly in a non-sectarian way? He goes, "Oh yeah, I have to. Secretary of the Navy said I had to. I said, "Hold, hold, hold on. So if you're at a retirement ceremony... And you're asked to pray, you'll give a non-Christian prayer. He goes, well, I have to. And You can tell this didn't go well. I said, D- who cares what the Secretary of the Navy thinks? He's not sovereign. And, and we actually refuse to ordain him over that. But he found another nearby denomination to do it. But, but I, we, we cannot, we must never pray and particularly publicly, and particularly in minister, in a way that conveys the idea either to God or to those who are praying with us that we have access to God any other way except through his son. And this is part of my problems. I have others with sectarian joint services. You know, they get the, the Catholic and the Muslim and the Hindu and the Reformed minister together. We have a shared worship service. Well, what are we saying? Uh, what we're saying is that Jesus is not the only mediator between God and men, but he is the only mediator between God and men. I've sometimes been asked to pray at secular rallies, sometimes a political thing, and I always tell them, if I come, I'm going to pray in Christ's name, and second of all, you might not like what I say in the prayer. So that's fair. As long as you're okay with that, that usually cuts it out right there. But um, but there is no prayer for a Christian that is not through the mediation of Christ. Does that mean we have to say the formula of words in Jesus' name? Well, I think we should, given the conventions. But it's not the formula of words that makes it works. It's that we're approaching God through his Son, the Lord Jesus. Now, that, this, of course, excludes praying to Mary, saints, other dead Christians, or whatnot. You know, what are, what are we saying about Christ when we're praying to, say, a saint? Well, what we're saying is that we need a mediator with a mediator. That Christ is not interested. I mean, if I had access to the the CEO of the company, I'm not going to go to the vice president, right? And if I go to the vice president, it's because I don't have access to the CEO. But we do have access to Christ, and he is attentive. It's like blind Bartimaeus. When he cries out, son of David, have mercy, Jesus stopped. That's what the gospel text says. We have access to the Son of God. He, we don't need anybody to, to kind of you know, warm him up to us. He died for our sins, we, and, he, and, and others are not God. We pray to Christ, to God through Christ. We do not pray to Mary, saints, or other dead Christians. I think it is a, grieving, a grievous and abominable thing for Christians to do that. Well, let's talk now about how do we pray. How, that's a pretty busy slide. Nate doesn't like these busy slides, but I, I couldn't figure out way to break it up, Nate. Well, the confession says that we, we pray with understanding. Um, it's, it's, it's it is a conscious, rational communication with God. It's not some technique-driven mantra. It's not, the, it's not just a, a formula of words over and over and over, but with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance. And so we pray intelligently. We, we talk to God. We are, uh, we are, and we do so being aware of his high majesty and our creaturely humility and our, and our sinfulness. And we entreat the Lord, expressing our love for him and our faith with the expectation of blessing. Jesus said, ask and you will, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We're to have confidence in prayer. And we do normal speech, not in tongues, not with special techniques. Uh, Who's old enough to remember the Prayer of Jabez? Remember that embarrassing moment in American evangelicalism? And it was a a runaway bestseller. Tens of millions sold. The copy I got was a leather-bound deluxe version given to me by one of my ruling elders in Florida. That was embarrassing. And what the Prayer of Jabez says, if you use this formula of words, it'll work. That's paganism. Uh, why does God answer? What makes prayer work? The fact that God is listening. The fact that we, he is our father and, and his faithfulness is our father and the honor that's upon him. Uh, what makes prayer work is the, the intercession, the mediation of Jesus, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So just talk to God. I remember one time I was at a hospital. Uh, a member of my church in Florida again was having a very life or death surgery. And afterwards, uh, there was a, a two women, was a mother-daughter, they were praying for someone, and, and trust me, I didn't correct them. And I was praying with them, and they were evangelicals, and it was just a formula of words over and over, this circle, speeding up circle of, you know, of father, 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 father. And I, and I wanted to go, to just, just talk to him. I, I, I didn't say that to them. I think their husband had, had a heart attack, so I'm not rebuking them. But I was just, I was just struck by it. Just, just talk to God. We don't have, in fact, Jesus, you know, in, the, in, the, in his Lord's Prayer, he says we don't do it like the barbarians do, where it's just this babble of words. and just, we, don't have, we don't need a trick to make it work. He's the God of grace. He's our Father in Christ. Jesus is mediating. The Spirit is there. We just talk to him in normal speech. I do think the, the Acts acrostic is a general helpful guide. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication particularly for your daily prayer life Uh, spend some time don't go straight to your prayer requests but to glorify him and adore him Uh, if you've not done so earlier in the worship service uh, you confess your sins Uh, it's a good idea when you're praying to, to spend some time thanking him for you think of how often jesus said and they didn't even say thank you to me say thank you to him and be and be observant of the things you have to be thankful for and then make your requests Well, for who and what do we pray? Well, we pray for all things according to God's will. So again, things that are according to God's will, we're to pray for. Does that mean that things that are not according to God's will? Well, I don't know if it's God's sovereign decree for such and such to be healed or not. But I know it's his will for me to pray for the sick. This is why I cannot bring myself to do college football prayers. No, Not even for Michigan. I don't. It's just like it's, it's like, Lord. I mean, I, I'm not even embarrassed, you know. Oh, Lord, be with JJ today. Anoint his deep ball pass, which God clearly has not been doing. The uh, I, I, that's not a, that's not His will for me to pray for my team to glorify somebody else's team, be glorified over it. However much my own wicked heart may desire it, all the more as November goes along. But um, uh, no, I, I don't pray for things. But those things the scriptures tell me to pray for. And that's a ton of stuff. Um, You have this statement of John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, notice there's a caveat on that. That whole if you abide in me and I am in you. So it's, it's out of a reflection of our relationship and my teaching. And so my prayer life is to be things according to God's will. Now, that means if you're praying, Lord, I hate that guy cause me to have a car accident. That ain't a biblical prayer, y'all, even if it's your spouse, <laughs> especially if it's your spouse. <laughs> but uh, no, no we, we don't pray those ways. And we shouldn't want to. I'm sure you don't. But we pray according to his will. If I tell you, uh, this is First John five fourteen. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, again, this doesn't mean that you know that God's like a, a, a waitress and we give our order and he takes it back to the kitchen and brings it out. No, 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 no. And it, it is better for us that. And, he, and by the way, he's synchronizing all things by his sovereign omniscience and omnipotence. And, but we know that our prayers are being answered. There will be some of our prayer answers that will only be in heaven. And the answer will be in heaven. And you know what? Most of our future is going to be in heaven. There's only a small amount of our future that's between now and heaven. And, uh, and that God would answer that prayer, maybe a prayer for healing. And he'll answer that prayer in the resurrection. But we know, but we're told by his word that he hears us, and that he's answering our prayers, and, and that, that should mold our faith as we struggle in prayer. Wide ra- now, I will say it's a wide range of topics, but what we especially should be praying for are the things of the Holy Spirit. And, and I would argue that in all that teaching that when we pray for things like my own sanctification when we pray for the conversion of the lost, when we pray for the missionary work of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit, we should have particular confidence on those things. Uh, And I want to say particularly, you heard me say it many times, each of us in our own prayer life should be praying to God about our own repentance from sin, our own mortification of sin and its desires, our own desire for, for the grace of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And I think that when we pray that way, we should pray with particular confidence. I'll give you an analogy. Let's say I have a child and I go to a child of mine and I say, look, child, I'm really concerned about this sin tendency you have and I really want you to stop doing it and I want you to apply effort to stop doing it. So I'm the father and I tell him to do that. Now, me with my children, now, imagine if I had the power to accomplish that in his or her heart. And that child then comes back to me and says, Father, I've been thinking about, uh, you know, whatever the thing you told me about, and I, I earnestly desire it. And you have the ability to do it in my life. Would you do it? Would I say No. No. And when you and I repent of our sins and we mortify our sinful desires and we come to God and say, Lord, I want to be a more thoughtful and devoted husband. Lord, I want my I want I don't want to be angry anymore. I want to be to be the sweet speaker. Lord, I, I want, we, we pray for the things that the Holy Spirit's laid on our hearts. My friends, we should pray with particular confidence. Because we know that is in the will of God. And he does have the power to grant what he calls for in our lives. Our prayer lives should have that attitude. And we, therefore, should work at praying. Look, praying's hard. Let me give you a little dirty little secret. You're not the only person who struggles in prayer. Uh, Lloyd-Jones made the comment I thought was so helpful. Prayer is the highest thing we will ever do in the sight of heaven. It's the highest uh, spiritual exercise of course, it's the hardest for the flesh so we work at it we persevere in it i would recommend you know like matthew henry's a method for prayer it's a very good book there's all kinds of good christian literature on prayer i particularly would recommend matthew henry's a method for prayer um and uh my friend phil ryken's got a book on the lord's prayer which i would very much commend and we when we practice it and we apply effort to it uh Because prayer, Robert Shaw says, is an appointed means of grace which all men and women ought to approve. Though it is not for our prayer, it's not because of our prayer, yet it is in the way of prayer as God's instituted order that we may expect any blessing from Him. And how haunted we should be by James 4, verse 2 you do not have because you do not ask. Surely we as a generation are weak in prayer. It's probably a reflection of the ease of our lives for the most part um, and our spiritual shallowness. Uh, we would greatly, if, I, mean, I think all of us together, it would be a very good application to say for us to really commit to prayer would make a big difference. Uh, many evangelical churches have basically removed serious praying from the worship service because you know how the people are, Aaron would say. So let's, let's attend to the prayers. The prayer meeting is important. Let's be committed. I, I sometimes think that, you know, should the Lord tarry and should he not come back for a couple hundred years and some Christian historian is writing a history of our generation in America and, and no doubt historians will go, what a time. The sudden collapse of a society, you know, it, it really had started earlier, but wow, did it, and you couldn't get, and even in the midst of that, you couldn't get the Christian people to pray too busy with Little League, too busy with our shows, too busy with our recreations, it, it will not be to our credit. Anyway. Uh, lastly, and I'm going to do the Lord's... Uh, uh, I'm going to do the Sabbath next time. Uh, I did five earlier, that was the elements of worship. Six, neither prayer nor any other part of religious worship is now under the gospel either tied unto or made more acceptable by any place in which it is performed or toward which it is directed But God is to be worshipped everywhere, in spirit and in truth, as in private families daily, and in secret, each one by himself, so more solemnly in the public assemblies, which are not carefully or willfully to be neglected or forsaken, when God by his word or providence calleth thereunto. Now, in the Old Testament, it made a difference where you prayed and you worshipped. And you went to the Jerusalem after the establishment, after the building of Solomon's temple. And when you weren't in Jerusalem, you prayed toward it. I mean, a lot. Of, you hear it all the time in the prophets. When Jonah is in the belly of the great fish, I don't know how he got his direction right down there. But he was highly motivated. Believe me, he was highly motivated. At least in his heart, he says, I pray towards the temple. Now, the reason for that was the temple and its sacrificial system was the type of Christ. And so there, it, was, it was their way in the Old Covenant of praying in Jesus' name. You prayed in, You went to Jerusalem for your worship, and when you were in Jerusalem, you looked at Jerusalem. But where is Jesus now? Jesus has fulfilled the typologies, and he is in heaven. He is uh, Lord of heaven and earth. There is no sacred place that's more sacred than another. Every, every place is, saw, is, is hallowed ground. And so... You know, it's like, oh, okay, we're going to build a church. Where should we build it? It's not like, you know, closer to, the, you know, that spot's more spiritual than this. But it's just not true. And I want to say this true. If you go on a trip to Jerusalem and pray, go to the Holy Land. Now, what you experience there may be more motivational for you to pray. But the bare fact that you are in the Holy, maybe you're at Capernaum. Maybe you're outside Jerusalem. You being there does not itself make your prayers more acceptable. Uh, It's one of the changes in the new covenant. Christ is sanctified every place. Paul says, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. But God is also to be worshiped in privately, personally, and in families, and here's how we should think about doing our devotions. Our devotions is not just reading the Bible and checking the block. God deserves our personal worship every day. Every day we should glorify him and worship him. And I me encourage you to think of your devotional time as private worship. And we should, be, we should be sitting at his feet and hearing his word. We should be praying to him. And the, the motive of our heart and our daily worship should be the worship of him. Likewise, the family altar, family worship. We should we, As our families, we are to be worshiping the Lord. But especially the public worship of God on the Lord's Day is not willfully to be neglected. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Now, we are to, you know, we are to be at, at the church for the Lord's Day worship, unless we are unable to do so. And there are some who aren't unable to, and it's a great burden to them. Um, But notice that encouraging one another. You can't encourage your fellow Christians in video church. And I I do fear that the video, on the one hand, the video, we had the COVID thing. It was a real blessing. seems like a long time ago now, right? And our, our church actually has kind of astonishing numbers of people watching online. I think easily more watches online than are that are even part of our church we actually a fair amount of money is given to our budget by the online viewers and all over the world it's kind of crazy so it's nice that we can read but 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 as christians we're to be at the church we're to be in the lord's house and, and we're to make it a priority It's the Lord's day. We're to be worshiping with God's people. We're to be encouraging one another. It is important. Now, again, there are people who, for I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you if you really can't do it. That's a whole other matter. But I would say this, too. Even when you're on vacation, I always recommend that rather than watching our video church, that you go to a local PCA church and we meet other Christians. I know we don't always do that. I'm not against the video church thing. But uh, we're to be worshiping in person it's it's not. I have to say, one of our one of our uh, our families posted during the COVID thing. Posted a what it's like in our family doing video church, and I saw the the like the 30 second version of it, and it was not encouraging to your pastor. I'll tell you that. There's a lot of up and down. There's a lot of talking. Of course, there was. It's a TV screen. Um. So I don't think the quality of worship is necessarily all that great. But we're to be together. There's an incarnational aspect to Christianity. We're to be together, Uh, and I I think our church is pretty fervent in that. This whole American notion that you know, well, look, I've got other things going on. Well, I'll get to the, I'll stop there, and I'll get to the Lord Sabbath as the Lord's day. But uh, surely we can We are to worship the Lord our God together. We're to imbibe of the means of grace. We're to give Him corporate praise. We're to give Him our worship. We're to do it every week as we can. Father in heaven, I pray your blessing on these thoughts tonight about the confessional teaching of worship, and I, I pray, Father, that you, by your Spirit, that you would glorify yourself in our midst, that you would bless our worship, that we would we would find it lively, and that you, through it, through your Spirit, would animate our hearts for true worship in spirit and in truth. And then, would you not only glorify yourself in that way, but would you cause it to be useful? for the conversion of the lost, that you'd be glorified in that way as well. Lord, bless each of us who are here tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.